Hey, good morning, everyone. Stand with us this morning as we open in worship. Sing that great hymn. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Conquered the grave, you free every 
Amen, amen, amen. Well, welcome, everybody. Good morning, Sunset Hills. You guys look wonderful. How you doing? Good, good. My name's Eric. I'm one of our pastors. So glad that you're here with us. If you are new, thanks for coming. If you've been hanging out with us for a few weeks, you're still new with us. So thanks for being here, and we would love to get to know you better. So please just stop by in the foyer and uh, just say hi to me and um, if you would, we'd love to give you some information. You can also just text hi to that number right there, and that'll allow us to be able to communicate uh, with you. I also have some bulletins. I felt like I was like trying to sell popcorn sometimes out in the lobby with my wife and our kids, but if you need a bulletin, I'll be happy to give it to you. So when I step off the stage, um, you can just simply say, hey, guy, I need a bulletin, and it'll work. So we have a really cool Sunday gathering uh, for you this morning, more worship here in just a second, we'll also have uh, Pastor Steve back, ready to preach, um, and uh, looking forward to hearing what God has prepared in his heart for us to hear and apply. And then we have a wonderful missionary couple that I think is going to just pique your interest on foreign missions, and so we're excited for that. But I wanted to remind you of something, that song about he has done great things. What better than salvation? What better than salvation? So you, you may struggle with that from time to time, like, you know, the security of your salvation. And I can just assure this, that you are no less secure when you are in Christ. You are completely secure when you're in Christ. Therefore, when you're struggling and you're going, man, did, is my salvation slipping? You can look to Jesus for the assurance of your salvation. And in the Old Testament, it tells us to then apply this. And you're doing this in real time. Listen to verse Two of chapter 96 in the psalm. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. And that's what we get to do. As we get a chance to continue in our worship, we get a chance to proclaim through song that the salvation of God is good and it's applicable and it's for each and every believer to continue to live in for all of our days on earth and into glory when he comes again or he takes us home. So it's great to be with you this morning. Would you do me just a quick favor? Would you just say a quick Sunset Hills hello to the person around you? And then we're going to get right back to worship.
morning. Yes, yes I, I can see the light that is coming for the heart that holds on. There will be an end to these troubles, but until that day comes, still I will praise you. Still I will praise you. Yes. Yeah. 
very much pastor kelly what a great word faithfulness is because oftentimes we are definitely not completely faithful and we've certainly been hit with faithlessness in others and so the characteristic of that song being perfectly formed and the character of god being completely faithful absolutely drives this next little topic and what I want to do is just by way of introduction to tell you that uh, Pastor John Piper once said that missions exists because the glory of God doesn't and the faithfulness of God to be able to see that his mission continues to go forth to the ends of the earth is because he's faithful to his mission 
of saving all kinds of people from every tongue and every tribe. And uh, Sunset, we have an ex just a wonderful privilege to be able to see that missions, by way of the evangelistic mission, mission of the Great Commission, is on display for us to participate in. It was a privilege to be able to meet Russell uh, about a month and a half ago. Pastor Steve had said, hey, Eric, if you're not busy, let's go grab some coffee with an IMB missionary. And if you're familiar with our Southern Baptist rootage here, the International Mission Board is an agency that we've had for a very long time that has been faithful in sending missionaries for a very long time all around the world to proclaim, to make disciples, and to love others. And so this is just the continuation of that, as you will hear from Russell and his wife and their mission field and the journey and where they're on. So before they come, I would like to prime this for you for a minute. Number one, it's a sensitive area that they serve in. Number two, as he mentions that, if you're interested more into what they're doing after service, I know that you may have some plans to go away for some lunch, which is wonderful in itself. But if you would like to stick around in the commons, right there in the lobby, there with the two tables and some chairs and stuff, um, they will be there as a couple for a while, being able to receive more questions and more inquiries about what they're doing, about what God is doing, and maybe how we as a church and you as individuals can pray and participate with them. So without further ado, I would love to invite Russell and his wife on up here to introduce themselves or, you good? Okay, she's staying back. So it was a pleasure meeting him and I look forward to letting God just speak through him as he introduces the mission that they're in. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Eric. I am Russell, my wife, Jeanette. I've got two daughters, Erica and Mary Lane. They're at uh, our sending church uh, here in Nashville. We lived here in Nashville for a number of years before we went overseas, and we've been serving in the Middle East with the International Mission Board for eight years. In the last two years, we've been serving in northern Iraq with the Kurdish people. Uh, the Kurds, some of you have probably heard some things about Kurdish people because of the the Gulf Wars, and also, uh, as you might know, there are, uh, there are many Kurds who live here in the Nashville area. Uh, around 15 to 20,000 Kurds live in the Nashville area. Um, but uh, we live, we, like I said, we've lived in, um, in the Middle East for, for, for eight years, last two years in, uh, in northern Iraq, working with that, with that people group. Now, the Kurds are a, are a Muslim people group. And they are the largest people group in the world without their own country. They uh, are minorities in uh, Turkey and Syria and Iraq and in Iran. And for centuries, they've suffered at the hands of these powerful neighbors of the, the, the Arabs and the Turks and the Persians and have, uh, have always uh, found refuge in the mountains. Uh, the city we live in is surrounded by mountains and uh, when the problems would, would come, when the, uh, um, the armies from the other, other, uh, other nations around them would come, they would flee to the mountains. And this led to a, uh, a saying that they have uh, amongst themselves. It says, Kurds have no friends but the mountains. And they find refuge in the mountain. They find peace there. They find uh, uh, a refuge from, from danger. 
Psalm 121 says, it's a psalm of, it's a psalm of ascent. The, uh, the people of Israel are going up to Jerusalem. They're always going up to Jerusalem. If you read the, if you're reading the Bible, everybody's always, it's Jesus, is, Jesus does it in the Old Testament. Everybody is always going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem rests on, uh, on a hill. But the psalmist says in the middle of the, of the ascent of the heading toward Jerusalem, it's in a, a difficult time. He says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So our Kurdish friends are, have been for centuries, have been seeking refuge in the mountains. And our prayer, our desire is for them to find that refuge, find that hope, find that light not in the mountains, but in the one who made the mountains, the one who made heaven and earth. And we've been serving there, like I said, for two years. We have a, a uh, in, in northern Iraq, we've, we have a pastor that we serve with. Uh, I call him Harold. That's not his real name. And he and I go to, uh, uh, we go on visits where uh, we have a have a church that he has planted that we are serving in and, and helping with, doing discipleship and some leadership training. Um, I could I would love to tell you more stories about it. About a I could I'll give you a I'll give you a tease. Uh, there's a man named Jordan who had a dream. I would love to tell you that story later. Um, I just I don't have time. Sorry. Um, but uh, as we as we. As, as we're going back, we go back in just a few weeks. We go back in just a few weeks. Just some things to pray about for us. If you, have, uh, uh, if you have a piece of paper, you can just jot these down real fast. Pray for our transition back to northern Iraq as we go back here in just a couple of weeks. We go back, uh, uh, we just, like I said, just a couple of weeks we get back, and it is always a hard transition. As you can tell from the pictures, my daughters are teenagers, and so our big uh, question all the time is is how do we do their education and how and what are their and their social needs uh, and it's it's a real struggle for us so pray for us as we're thinking about what what to do with our daughter's education and and with their um, uh, how to help them thrive in the place we're at and pray for us as we're going back to uh, a, a different situation than than what we left. Um, when we left, the, the church was able to meet all together, but because of some things that have happened, they're not able to meet all together. They've been meeting in smaller groups, and so our ministry is going to look a lot different. As I wrap up, I want to say specifically to you, Sunset Hills Baptist Church, is thank you. Thank you for your gifts to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, if you grew up Southern Baptist like I did, uh, we at Christmas time we always would gather our our, when I was a kid, it was pennies and nickels and quarters and, and, uh, and put it all together. And um, what we, that, the, the gifts to Lottie Moon go directly to, the, to, uh, to, to, to our needs on the field, go directly to us, not for overhead, not for any of those other things. It's directly for us. So your gifts to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and to the cooperative program allow us to go and, and, to, uh, and, and we are fully funded because of that. So thank you. Thank you so much. And as I, hand, as I, as I step down, I want, to, um, I want to encourage you to think about who here might be called to come and serve with us. We can, we're, we're looking for, uh, a, we're looking for a, 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 an MK teacher who could, teach our, who could help teach the kids. We have our kids. We also have a number of other kids, including younger kids. So we would look for a TCK teacher. Uh, TCK is third culture kids. Sorry, we the 
The International Mission Board loves its, uh, its acronyms. Um, and we are also looking at moving into a new area where there, is, uh, where there, there are uh, refugee camps, not living in the city, but living in refugee camps. And we're looking at doing some refugee um, uh, uh, camp uh, work as well, some camp ministry there. So if, that's, if you're thinking about what, how God might be leading you to come to, to serve with us, I would love to talk to you about that as well. Thank you so much for your time, and God bless. So that's real life, real life that they're doing, a life of sacrifice, a life of giving, asking their family to give a great deal, and doing an incredible work in a dangerous part of the world, and we certainly can support them in our prayers, as well as our giving. Many people, I, I, I don't know what the total number is of our missionaries throughout the Southern Baptist Convention, who are out serving, what is it, about 3,000 or so that are out there who are on the front lines of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in very difficult situations. So I encourage you to pray for Russell and Jeanette and their daughters. And um, when the time comes around for us to start talking about Lottie Moon and how we do it, it's the post office that we do this is why we do it and this is one of the reasons that we are Southern Baptist because Southern Baptists do one of the best jobs of supporting their missionaries throughout the world and this is a cooperation of Southern Baptist churches that make this happen and have been doing it for hundreds of years and so we're grateful for you being here today and may God bless what you do in your work a few weeks ago, I started out my sermon, or sometime very soon thereafter, talking about how miffed I can be by the decisions that some people make. And for the life of me, I can't understand why it is some people do some of the things that they do. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't, have you seen any examples of that recently? I, I certainly have. Often we hear stories about really stupid acts that criminals do and get caught at doing, right? So I thought just for fun, I would look up a few stories and share those with you this morning just to kind of look and see how people do some things. Eyewitness News of Orange County, California reported some of these stories. The first one was this. Huntington Beach police are searching for a thief who allegedly took a selfie inside an AT&T store before running off with an iPhone. It says on Sunday, the unidentified man entered the AT&T store and asked to see some cell phones. Store employees say he took a selfie, ripped the iPhone away from the display and ran out of the store and drove, store and drove off in a blue Ford Focus. The selfie was downloaded or uploaded to the company's iCloud account. So they have a picture of this guy. Here's another one, uh, same, same uh, precinct, police precinct. Deputies with the Erie County Sheriff's Office pulled over Amanda Swikert, 28, on Wednesday for driving without a front license plate, and one on the back was clearly a fake. Here's a picture of it. 
made out of cardboard, of all things. Once she, they had stopped her, deputies discovered that Swikard was operating the vehicle with a suspended registration and no insurance. That's pretty, well, come on, really? Here, this one happened in Franklin County, Kentucky, or Ohio, I'm sorry. Many of us have posted things on social media, I hope you, hopefully you haven't, that we regret, right? But an Ohio man is facing serious consequences after a Facebook posting that landed him in handcuffs. Franklin County Sheriff Zach Scott said Dustin Ritgers, 28, posted a 12-second video on Facebook his personal Facebook page with no privacy settings of him taking a swig of alcohol while behind the wheel of a car. He looks into the camera while music plays in the background, then raises his eyebrows and takes a swig from a partially covered bottle, but he doesn't speak. As the clip ends, the camera is flipped around to show his hand with one finger raised to guide the steering wheel as the wiper blades move across the vehicle's windshield. He says, Scott says, you got a distracted driver and a drunk driver just exponentially causing danger wherever he went. While he was going down the road, a tipster warned deputies that Rickers was drinking and driving, Scott said. Deputies tracked the suspect's car down and pulled him over near State Route 665 and Hibbs Road. The suspect pleaded not guilty in Franklin County Municipal Court on five misdemeanor charges, including operating a vehicle under the influence of alcohol or drugs and having an open container in the vehicle. Scott said that Rigger's Facebook post is evidence that could prove those charges. There's no privacy issues here, he says. Uh, he's posted, he's confessed, he gave us the evidence. A Facebook friend comments, dude, really? And Rigger's response, on Facebook, I am really a good driver, don't worry, and goes on to comment, I got one finger on the steering wheel while Facebooking while it's raining, SMH, I am good, I am a pro. Scott said we need to remember that Ritgers is typically is typing all the time he's driving. He's got his hands full when he's drive, trying to drive, Scott said, he's drinking, he's, not, he's paying attention to his phone. I mean, we are, I think, very fortunate that this didn't end up with some type of tragedy, right? Good gracious. It doesn't even stop. His family defends him. So this guy gets it honestly. Keeps coming from the family. His, his girlfriend said, he's really smart. He's just going through a lot right now. And on top of that, he's already been arrested in 2007 and 2011 and September 2014 by, for impaired driving. He hasn't yet learned his lesson. My goodness. Here's a good one. On a sunny day in March... A 17-year-old boy in Omaha, Nebraska, decided to stick a gun in the face of a woman who was taking her son to school, demanding that she give him her, give him her car. She, of course, obliged. The boy was about to take off when he realized the car had a manual transition, transmission, which he was unable to drive. He tried to fumble around with the controls, but after moving the car only a matter of yards, in a few minutes, he decided to bolt on foot, but was eventually caught by the authorities. I mean, come on. Hey, 
dads, do yourself a good favor to your kids. Teach them how to drive a stick shift. Not to steal a car, mind you. Maybe some of you dads don't even know how to drive a stick shift. Send them my way. I'll teach them, all right? Here's another one. Robbing a gun store with a baseball bat. <laughs> planning, <laughs> planning is hugely important when trying to pull off a crime, and it is essential to the success of the act that every detail be well thought out of in advance. But Derek Mosley didn't place very high importance on these things before he decided to run, rob a gun store. He was armed with a baseball bat. Seeing that it was a gun shop, the manager pulled a gun on the would-be robber and kept him in the crosshairs until the cops came, arrived to take him away. I love this one. Here, I'm going to give you a couple more. This man, these men were behind, were, were, behind, were behind like the worst and least thought-out disguises in the history of crime. When committing their misdeed, they didn't use the mask or hoods typical of most criminals, but instead chose to draw on their faces with permanent markers. <laughs> While it may have uh, been hard to recognize them during the crime, permanent marker is, as the name suggests, notoriously hard to remove, which left the men extremely easy to identify when the police were looking for the criminals. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, the dumb stunt earned the duo the nickname Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Two more, here we go. In 2010, a man named Bailey and an unnamed juvenile accomplice decided to rob a bank in Fairfield, Connecticut. But in an attempt to speed up the process of the crime, Bailey called the bank instead to let them know they were coming to rob it. It's a true story. His obvious intent was to give the bank plenty of time to get the money ready so they could just pick it up and leave quickly. Of course, the bank decided to call the authorities and notify them of the robber's arrival, and the two men were arrested by police without incident. Come on. One more. Here we go. In 2008, an 18-year-old man named Ruben Zarati attempted to rob a muffler shop in Chicago. After demanding the money, he was told that most of the cash was stored in a safe that could only be opened by the manager who wasn't scheduled to come in until a few hours later. You know what's going to happen? He figured it out. To save himself some trouble, Zerati left his cell phone number for the store to call him when the manager, once the manager arrived. Of course, the store first called the police and then called Zerati back. When he came back and noticed the police were waiting for him, he engaged in a brief shootout and the cops before eventually being arrested. Are you kidding me? As I said, I've looked at these stories sort of for the fun of it. But actually, it is very tragic as to how people do what they do, why they do what they do, and why they think about what they do. Amen? Very tragic. Hopefully, you've never done anything like these stories represent. And hopefully, hopefully you've been blessed with a healthy dose of common sense, and none of you would do anything 
or shall I say, as stupid as this, right? However, practically every person has a story or two of when you did something that may indicate that uh, shows that you were not very wide in the decisions you made. Have you ever done that? There's a few hands going up that are not ashamed to say it. Come on. Have you ever done that? Let me see your hands. I'm preaching to the right crowd this morning. I know I have more than one story or two. And I'm grateful that I can look back now and smile and laugh about those stories. But so many of them, unfortunately, end up in tragic situations. As earlier described, when we go through life, we discover that we're not always wise in the decisions that we make. Maybe we simply did what we thought was best, or maybe we acted on impulse. Anybody ever do that? You don't have to raise your hands on that one. Maybe we listened to ungodly advice from someone that we knew, thinking that they were pretty wise. There are truly times when each of us face situations where we truly do not know what to do. You ever been there? You're just kind of hoping as you put one step in front of the other. It's like, I truly don't know what my next step is going to be or where it's going to take me. I need some wisdom. I need some help. A wise person, maybe this is one of the first things about becoming wise. A wise person will admit that they don't have all the answers. But the situation is so real, maybe so imminent, that you truly need a decision and you need some wisdom on what to do next. You ever been there? And you have basically two places that you can go and get some wisdom. The first one is worldly wisdom, which is basically following the popular opinion of culture, of other people. Or the second choice that we have an option to go to is called godly wisdom which is following the precepts and the commands of God. So this is a two-part series that I'm going to be doing this week and next week called Seeking Wisdom. The first thing we're going to look at today is what wisdom is and where or to whom gives it. And the second one we'll look at next week is uh, uh, what, at what must we do in order to make wise decisions. You ready? Let's go. Where do you go, or whom do you go seek wisdom from when you need it? And you better be careful about where or whom you're seeking advice or help from, right? You ever been given bad advice? You ever sought it in a place that wasn't a good place to get it from? 
Here, James 4, 4 warns us this. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you must make yourself an enemy. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy to God. Wow, that stings, doesn't it? If I choose to go out and seek worldly advice, then I'm putting myself at odds with God, making myself an enemy, according to what James says. As disciples of Jesus, we need to understand that we cannot have a kind of a dual citizenship of being worldly and godly. They do not mix. It says we must choose. There are times when through prayer, God will reveal his purpose and his plan to us. But there are also times when it is right and appropriate for us to seek counsel or advice from other Christians. That's looking to God and to say, I need godly wisdom here. There are many examples of wisdom of God throughout the Old Testament. And certainly King Solomon is one who was known for his wisdom. King Solomon's God-given wisdom gave him insight onto how to deal with the problems of life. And, and, And I believe there are a lot of people who God gives a great amount of wisdom. You know what it's called? It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's called what? Discernment. Yeah? Discernment, people who have this, uh, this incredible uh, ability to look into a situation and, and, and give wisdom based on what God has shared with them. I, I know there are a lot of people. Within our church, there are people who are like this. If you want to seek out someone who is godly, who has this, then, you know, just they're here. You can talk with them, give you good advice. Solomon was someone who had wisdom that had been shared by God. It's a story about how he was just anointed to be king over Israel. Tradition was that when you become a king, you would sacrifice a bull as an act of, of worship. Solomon didn't sacrifice one bull or five bulls or, or ten or a hundred. He actually gave an incredible offering of a hundred animals in this huge offering before God. And whether it was a result of that or, or of, of wisdom at that point in time or not, we don't know for sure, but we do know that 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 night that he gave this sacrifice God said an an incredible thing to him in his when he appeared to him second chronicles 1 7 if you want to find the story says this that night God appeared to Solomon and said what do you want ask and I will give it to you that's an incredible statement that God makes to Solomon here now imagine this, if God asks you, what do you want? One thing, I'll give it to you, anything at all, one wish. What would you wish for? It's not so hard to imagine. This is kind of a pretend question that has existed in cartoons and fables uh, since the beginning of time. It's like, we've seen it play out many times in, in those situations, but this was real life. This was God saying to this man, what do you want? Whatever it is, I'll give it to you. And in 2 Chronicles 1.10, it shows us an amazing thing that Solomon asked for. 
Give me wisdom. Let that sink in for a minute. You mean I can have anything I want? What if God said that this past week? How many of you would have said, man, I sure would have liked to have won uh, the lottery uh, on Friday night? How many knew that the lottery was on Friday night? You're a bunch of liars this morning. Wasn't the Powerball. What's the other one called? The Mega. How many would have said that? Or the Powerball, was it about two weeks ago when it gave away so much? How many people would say, a lot of people must have said that. They must have prayed that because there were a lot of tickets bought. And it didn't, it didn't, nobody won it, right? So you got another chance on Tuesday night. Is that right, Tuesday night? Is that when they do it? Something like that. Nobody's talking to me this morning. Don't buy a lottery ticket. I, I said something to my wife. You know, we ought to go buy a lottery ticket. She said, you got a better chance of becoming president of the United States. I don't know if they, she was saying that like, you have no chance in the world of becoming president or winning. Well, at any rate, pretty good wisdom from my wife. Don't waste your money on a lottery ticket. You're not going to win. If you do, give some money to the church, all right? We'll send some more money to missions. Let somebody really use it. Here's what Solomon said. Give me wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, because your greatest desire is to help your people. You, You did not ask for wealth, riches, fame, or even death of your enemies or a long life but rather you ask for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people I will certainly give you the wisdom and the knowledge you requested but I will also give you watch this wealth riches and fame such as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future evidently The response of Solomon, the response from God from what Solomon requested was so incredible that God says, you know, you could have had all of these, you could have asked all of these things, but because of your answer to ask for something that really did not necessarily benefit you, but benefited the people that you're going to rule over, because you did that, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you all of those other things that you didn't but could have asked for. Wisdom is what he wanted. Wisdom is what he got. He goes on to write about it. Some incredible sayings that we find. And over and over again in those writings that he has shared, he says it's better, this wisdom that is given is better than anything else, including the wealth. Remember, he's had it, he's been given, it's been given to him, and now later on he gets to write about it, and he says it's still better that I have it than the wealth, the riches, the fame, victory over enemies, or even long life. This is something that I think is a good point to make, bring home. Wisdom 
is better. Let me qualify that, though. It is godly wisdom and not worldly wisdom that is better. For a king to living in that time, uh, he could have asked for things that would have helped him overcome his enemies, the weapons of the powerful we uh, uh, of weapons that he could have used to do that. But what he chose to do was ask for something that was so much better. Now just let that sink in for a second. All those things that he could have asked for, mighty strength, he says wisdom's better. Wealth, oh yeah, wealth is good, but wisdom is better. Man, I'd like to live a long time. God, would you grant me long life? And yet he says, wisdom is better than long life or popularity or honor or respect. They're all good, but wisdom is better. Proverbs 16, 16 says this, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver and then again in proverbs 4 7 wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom and in your getting get understanding life creates a demand for wisdom and we are allowed to go to him and ask for it and he supplies it when the conditions are met the bible speaks about this godly resource that is av available to each of us who are part of his kingdom. How often do we take advantage of it? This, this commodity, this resource of godly wisdom. Well, I think for us to really kind of take a look at how we do with that, we need to consider what, what is wisdom. There are various definitions of wisdom. Webster defines it as the ability to make right use of knowledge. So one could say wisdom is the ability to discern what is true and right. A theological dictionary defines it this way, prudent, considered, experience, and competent action to master the various problems of life. Those are, those are all good definitions, Right? Wisdom, therefore, has both moral implications uh, of what's right, but it also has intellectual implications of discerning what's true. But it also has spiritual implications of determining what those things are couched in what God's plan is for your life. Jesus gave in his example of what wisdom looks like when he told the story about two men who were going to build a house. You remember the, the story? You probably were introduced to it uh, a very f first time in your life when you were a little kid in Sunday school. The wise man built his house upon a what? Rock. The wise man built his house upon the... the wise man built his house on the rock. No, no, not on rock. I think I skipped a verse, right? Because the foolish man built his house on the 
sand. The foolish man built his house, you know it. He built his house on the sand. And then when the rains came, the house came tumbling down. But the wise man built his house on the rock. It was a story that Jesus was saying, talking about the, the, the blessing, the resource of wisdom, how we should have that and seek it. Here's a way of saying it. Wisdom, therefore, involves the practical use of knowledge that enables a person to make right choices that honor God. And yet still another way, wisdom is knowing how to live God's way in God's world. It's therefore having the skills to live life according to his plan. The wise person is someone who patterns his relationships his goals, her finances, really pretty much every aspect of life is done to the specifications of God's Word. That's what living a wise life is. Can I tell you, I started to name this sermon, It's Okay to Be a Wise Guy. It really is. In fact, it's advantageous to be a wise man or woman God's word, word reveals this to us Job said this the fear of the Lord that is wisdom and to depart from evil is understanding that's where it begins here's another saying from Proverbs the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction so you want to get some wisdom you, know, you want to know where wisdom starts? It starts with God. And that is contrary to what culture says. Because that says, basically, enough experiences, get some education, nothing wrong with those. Important. But you want to get the basic understanding of what wisdom is, you start with God, who created all things, who has revealed truth, established absolute values. That's the person who can be wise. It's the fear of the Lord, having a relevant relationship with Him, a deep respect and love for and all of, of God in, in every aspect of our lives. So build a life of wisdom starting on the foundation of who God is how many decisions have you already made today you know a bunch very likely a bunch decision to get out of bed decision to come to church I don't know eat breakfast have a fight with your wife I don't know what your decisions are right but you've made a bunch, right? Some of them are small. And some of them may have not been good decisions. But there are consequences that come with the decisions that are made. Here's a thought for you. Decisions we make will either make us or break us, right? Are you with me? 
who you are today could be as a result of the decisions that you made yesterday. Now, you can just kind of let that sit there for a minute. But you could also look at it this way. Well, that was in my past. Those decisions that I made that maybe weren't so good, I'm suffering the consequences of today. Or there could be decisions that were made that were good decisions, godly decisions. And because of that, it's made an impact in my life. The fact that you are here in worship today is because you made good decisions in the past, even as lately as this morning. But that's your past, really. Now let's apply it to the future. Who you become tomorrow is a direct result of the decisions that you make today. What you, how things go tomorrow, most likely will have a an impact, will be impacted by the decisions that you make today. The problem is, I'm not so sure that when we are faced with making decisions that we give a whole lot of thought as to what God thinks about those, if we give any thought at all. In fact, I, I think most likely many of us, maybe all of us from time to time, would just go through life with, well, ever how it comes is what I'm going to, I'll face it when it comes. I'll just handle it when it comes up. That's not living with wisdom. It's like, let me give some consideration on the decisions that are coming up and how I go about doing that. Ironically, James speaks into this in the book of James in chapter 3, verse 17. Watch this. But the wisdom that comes from heaven... Okay, that's assuming that there's already some, some wisdom that has come from someplace else. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, this is what it should look like. is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Let's break that down a little bit. Pure, having the right motivation, not an having any unholy or corrupt aim with no hint of carnality, having a sense of godly integrity. So when you're about to make some decisions, the first thing it should be looking like is if you're asking for it from God, it's coming from heaven, this is what the first thing says it looks like. It's pure. It's peace-loving. Having a desire to live in peace with all, a desire to bring order, stability, and peace into situations. Considerate, taking others' feelings and thoughts into consideration instead of adding pain into a situation. You're gentle, submissive, yielding, not rigid, the ability to listen and examine the wisdom of God and possibly others. A person living in God's wisdom is teachable, open to reason, able to be counseled and not stubborn. How about full of mercy? 
having pity and compassion, willing to pardon other people's faults. Oh, here's a good one. Good fruit, seeking what is best that comes from a heart of love and compassion. Impartial, willing to look at a bigger picture in a fair and balanced way without distinction. And sincere, develop personal traits of just being someone who is real with no pretense, genuine and true. That's the wisdom that comes from heaven. And if you're lacking in wisdom, we can ask God for it. The Apostle James also speaks into that. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives how generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And can't you say amen to that promise? That's a pretty weak amen. Good gracious. If any one of you lacks wisdom... If you're in that situation that you do not know what your next step is, what to do, and I guarantee you, if you haven't already been there, you will be at some point in time in your life. What are you going to do? Oh, my goodness. The sky's falling. It's, it's just terrible, these things that are happening. I don't know what to do. You ever said that? Well, the first thing you do. You ask God for wisdom. And this tells you what he's going to do when you ask him. Ask God. Who gives? We should ask. Often. How to handle a family situation. Relationship that's not so good. Maybe had a parent, your child or your teenager. Should we spend money this way or that way? Asking for wisdom, according to this verse, says we have the authority to do so. You don't know what to do. It's pretty straightforward. If any of you need wisdom, just ask. You know, you might find this hard to believe. Because as I'm getting older, I'm getting to the place where it's getting easier for me to say. Before I tell you what I'm going to say... I'm going to tell you, it's taken a little while for me to get there, to this place. I, I'm not there completely. I'm getting closer. Because there have been times in my life where I did a lot of pretending. Like, I know the answer to the situation. Where I would like, I really need to prove that I'm the smartest person in the room. So it's getting easier for me to say as I've gotten older. Three words. I don't know. 
And they're not such bad words to get to a point of realizing. Because I don't know often means that I'm putting myself in a position to be submissive to God and talk to the one who does know. If you live long enough, you're going to find yourself in situations where you need wisdom. Oh boy, we live in a culture where people are acting as if they have all the answers. My goodness. When, you have, when have you heard someone say this week in formal settings that they need, they need wisdoms? Have you? That they need wisdom. Now, Lynn and I still live in Nashville. And we have an election coming up this week. It's interesting that this is just a sampling of many of the candidates who seem to say, I've got all the answers, vote for me. There they are. I would like some of those candidates, I'd like one of those candidates to come up and say, you know what, I don't have all the answers. If you'll elect me, I'm going to do the very best I can to face situations and problems and act. And the first thing I'm going to do is get on my knees and I'm going to pray to God to give me wisdom as to how I can help solve our city's problem. I have yet to hear a single candidate say that. Well, maybe if we in the church would do a better job of raising up people who want to run for office, who start with that, we would have some better answers than what exists right here. Amen? I'm finished. I'm going to leave that with you, except to say this. Are you in a place in your life where right now that you need some wisdom? In a situation, let me back up to say, I am grateful for people who serve in public office. I'm grateful for people who will put their life on hold and do things. I just wish more people would seek God in how to solve our problems. I'm grateful for people in our church who faithfully through the years have sought God to answer some of the questions that have come up in the life of this church, who will seek God when troubles come up in their own life. And they're not knowing what to do, but they get on their face, their knees, and they say, God, please show me what the next step is. I need your wisdom. God says, simply ask. It's not that difficult. Maybe you're here today and you're in that situation. And right now, heads bowed and eyes closed. If you find yourself in 
You don't know what to do. Maybe it's been an ongoing problem. Maybe it's not something that's going to take just one little piece of, a, of, of, of advice or a solution, but it's going to be a multiple step. Maybe it's just how to speak with someone whose your relationship is strained for whatever reason. Maybe it's all on them, and you're just trying to figure out how to speak into it, how to give a, a godly response. Maybe it's a big decision in life. Maybe somebody is thinking about taking up Russell's invitation of coming and serving in a mission-filled capacity. I don't know what it is, but if you're in that situation, then right now, pause between you and God. Say, God, I'm asking for wisdom. Know this. It starts with having that right relationship with our Heavenly Father as found in His Son, Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you need to settle some business with God in any way whatsoever, during this time of invitation, I invite you to do so. You can come spend some time in the altar and through prayer. You can come speak with me or one of the other pastors and just say, would you just pray with me about this? Maybe you need to seek out someone who has great counsel to help show you the way. Just pray that God will place that person in your path. Father, would we be obedient to you right now in this place? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand. As I kneel in the darkness, in the middle of the night, praying for assurance, everything's gonna be alright. Lord, I see another battle out in front of me, and I'm afraid I won't be able, and I'll go down. Said, do you remember just where I brought you from? Just take a look behind you at just how far you've come. And every time you ask me, didn't I deliver you? So why? father in a house that was a home 
Said my bills are coming due, Lord. Six days just ain't that long. She hears a voice so still and low. It says I've moved like that before. And I'll do this little thing for you. But I want to give you so much more. Second Saturday. Week early, second Saturday of the month. There we go. So, uh, there we go, right there. Come on up here, John. So, second Saturday of the month, next Saturday, men's breakfast. Don't forget that. And ladies, next week, this Saturday, coming Saturday. Are you going to get to that? Yeah, get into it. Go ahead, John. Well, one thing I can tell you is attending that first men's retreat was one of the best decisions I'd ever made. Um, and I've been asked just to real quickly tell you what impact that had on my life. Um, my wife, Carol, and I had been coming to this church about a month, maybe two months, when the, the announcements for the men retreat started showing up on the board. And, you know, to much, uh, much to her surprise, I decided I would go. It was really something that was outside my, my comfort zone. I was very introverted. Uh, I'd met a few people here, but didn't really know anybody, and they certainly didn't know me. And, and you know, at that time, I had a lot of fear that you know, if uh, people really got to know me, how how much I would, how well would I fit in here? So I ended up going to the retreat, and you know, through really much to my surprise, through the structured small group meetings, uh, sitting by the bonfire, just sitting through the uh, we're sitting in the cabin just just talking I began to get to know a lot of these men and 
more importantly, they got to know me, and sure enough, you know, they accepted me for who I was, and I felt uh, really that I, I fit in here. And the impact of that was when I left that retreat, what had happened, and I didn't realize it at the time, the foundation had been laid for some of the best friendships I would ever have. Um, also, um, it gave me new confidence and a new desire to, to, to get involved more with the church, not just come, over, come to church every Sunday, but I, specifically I got involved more with the men's ministry. And over time, those, those budding friendships became absolutely the best friendships I've ever had. Um, and the benefit for that for me was that I got to see these men, these Christian men, these men of faith, turn to their faith over and over again as they struggled through many trials through their life. These could have been serious health issues, career issues, family issues, and you know, I, I saw how they reacted to those, and my thought was, I want what they have. And uh, that uh, really was a catalyst for me to purposely, over the next two to three years, do everything I could to, to grow my relationship with Christ. And really became a, a transformation in my life over, over a period of years. So I really hope to see as many of you there as possible and, and certainly hope you have just half the experience I had. Uh, I will be standing out front uh, at the desk. We have a sign-up sheet. So if you have any questions, feel free to stop by. Thank you. Thank you, John. Alvin, come on up and share with us. Yes, sir. I want to take a moment to invite you next Sunday at 2 o'clock to meet up here at the church and to go out into the community and pray for our schools. Um, our kids start to school on Friday for a half day. And, um, you know, we just have, they have so many needs. You've got kids coming to school for the first time. You've got kids going off to college that have not been in college before. We've got kids that maybe their parent, the single parent homes who, um, you know, they latchkey kids. We've got kids that, whose families are going through illnesses. We've got teachers that are going through the stress of the job. And so what I wanted to do, and we talked about it in our, our prayer team meeting too, and that we meet on Wednesday mornings at 10.30 and we pray. And it's amazing the prayer praises that we have each week where God has reached down with his hand and healed and, and taken care of people. But we need these schools, the administrators, the teachers, the parents, the students, the staff workers there, the cafeteria folks, the bus drivers. We need to be praying for these folks. Because I'm going to tell you, our children are facing a war. It's a battle. And it's going on every day. And so we're going to come up here and we're going to uh, divide up, depending on how many people we have, we'll divide up and go and either at the flagpole in front of the school or we'll walk around the school if we have the ability to do that and, uh, and just pray. And I'll, we'll make up a list. If you've got something, you can get it to me. Um, and I'll add it to it. But we're just going to come up with a list of things to pray. And then we're going to ask that we continue that for one week. We'll start next Sunday, and we're going to ask for every day next week that you pray for these things. And um, 
I can vouch it makes a difference. I was a principal of a school that received that, and it was amazing, the outcome. Amen. Thank you, Alan. Over the next three days, too, we'll be uh, blessing and encouraging our, our staff and faculty teachers of schools uh, with, with some meals. And uh, so that's something we've done for a little while. You may not realize that. And then um, also, uh, you may not know this, too, on Thursday night, it's Young Life. And um, we've been the host church for Young Life here um, in this county for uh, the last three years. And so they'll be returned this year. One student gave their life to Jesus last year through that and another the year before that. And um, so we, we have seen so many meaningful things just come through that and uh, our relationship with the schools. Uh, this coming Saturday, our ladies will be having, it's called But First Jesus. I knew there was a breakfast uh, this coming Saturday. Coffee and um, conversation, breakfast, and that'll all be Saturday, August the 5th at 8.30. So please plan on being here for that Saturday. Also, our ladies fall retreat. I was looking out the list. There's several, several ladies that have signed up for that, and uh, there's still lots of room for you. So ladies, the counterpart to the guys retreat um, is, is going on right now. That retreat is going to be October the 20th and 21st, um, and so we encourage you to see the land if you have any questions about that. Or just trust God and just sign up. It's going to be a great time. Don't ask too many questions. Just do it, right? Um, our student ministry retreat, we're going to be starting to sign up this coming Wednesday. So students, there's going to be limited spots for that one for our fall retreat. That'll be October 27th through the 29th um, at Cane Hollow Retreat. It's a good thing I broke our sermon in, my sermon into two parts, right? Yeah. Uh, just a quick word to ask that you remember these families in your prayer. This afternoon will be conducting a memorial service for Michael Putnam. This is Marilyn. Many of you all from Radnor days remember Marilyn. Her son passed away several weeks ago now. We'll be having the memorial service here this afternoon at 3. If you'd like to come by and visit with her and the family, uh, it's short visitation at 2.30. You're welcome to do so. And then we got word this morning that Beverly Knight, Beverly Hurley, uh, Al's wife, passed away. We don't have any arrangements yet, but we will um, we'll be passing those along as we, um, as we have them. Just remember our families. I, I was counting up a lot of folks here this morning. Since March 31st, I've conducted 10 funerals. And pray for your pastor, okay? Let's go home. Have a great week, everybody. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of our pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. Let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us. And he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. 
So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.